Well, you ladies are bold, uh, braving the ice and snow this morning to come to Wellspring. Uh, I went out to the driveway and it was dark and um, the doors on my truck were frozen shut. Anybody scrape ice off a windshield this morning? Okay. Kate, you're the only one. Okay. Did anybody see snow? You saw snow-capped mountains. You saw hail. Okay. At what time? This was about Yeah. 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 I we we had um, it was about four thirty in the afternoon in uh, in Chandler, and it was sunny with rainbows, snowflakes, and rain, all at the same time. Bizarre. Anyway, very thankful. Anybody planning to get up into the snow? Oh, yeah. Okay. We need to wrap it up and let's go. I, I hear you. No, there's snow on Lost Dutchman, so we're headed to Lost Dutchman this afternoon. On Lost Dutchman, what do you mean by that? The trail? The superstition? Yeah. There is snow, not even just like a powder on the top, it's all the way down to the bottom. Oh, my goodness. I heard six to eight inches in portions of Scottsdale yesterday. That's crazy. All right. Well, I want you to turn to Hebrews 3. Speaking of snow, Hebrews 3 has nothing to do with snow. Sclerosis is a medical condition of fibrous elements and tissue um, becoming hard, uh, losing their elasticity and their pliability. You're familiar perhaps with sclerosis of the liver or arteriosclerosis, when the liver or the arteries become hardened. But cardiosclerosis is a is a lethal situation where the heart itself loses its pliability and becomes hard. Uh, physically speaking, cardiosclerosis is a, is a deadly condition. Spiritually speaking, hard-heartedness is eternally lethal. And that's what we're talking about this morning is spiritual cardiosclerosis. A hard-heartedness. We're going to talk about its dangers, its causes, and its remedies. And hard-heartedness is a fundamental human problem. We are all born with hard-heartedness. We're all born in a condition of a stony-heartedness, according to Ezekiel 36. What I have this morning is a a packet of the passages we'll be looking at. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures this morning. Um, And so I wanted to uh, just kind of put these all in one place for you. Because I'm going to call on volunteers to read these passages. And uh, these appear in the order in which we'll talk about them in the notes this morning. (coughs) Now there's a danger in having all the scriptures there on that page. Uh, The danger is this. I'd, I'd rather have you look at your own Bibles and identify where these passages are so that your own Bibles become familiar to you uh, on this issue. However, you can always go back after the fact and maybe underline or 
highlight these in your Bibles uh, from this list. Um, but this morning, um, if you just kind of watch where we are in those notes and references, and uh, really the, the first one who volunteers to read any of these passages uh, can do so. We're going to start in Hebrews chapter 3, and we'll all look at this one together. This is a description of hard-heartedness in Hebrews 3, 12 to 15. The writer to the Hebrews says this, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance, firm until the end. While it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. The reality of a hard heart is an ever-present danger. Again, every human being is born with a stony heart. Who wants to read Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27? Thank you. Thank you, Ingrid. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and it will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my Okay, God there speaking to a select people, Israel, promising to give them a fleshy heart in place of the stony heart. And think about that. If, if God's chosen people were naturally born with stony hearts, how much all the rest of humanity? Uh, the truth is everybody's born with a, a heart condition of cardiosclerosis, hardened heartedness. And it needs to be replaced by supernatural work. Notice the connection in verse 27 of Ezekiel 36, the connection between soft-heartedness and obedience. Right? This is the real danger of moralism or religion that tries to invoke obedience apart from the heart change. Uh, the, the, an obedience that pleases the Lord is not possible. However, uh, a heart change produces a desire to walk in the ways of the Lord. This is a fundamental problem that's solved only by our participation in what the Bible will call new covenant realities. That is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of a believer. And yet you and I, even though in the gospel, even though in our new state in Christ, we still have brought with us residual depravity. That is our homardiological hangover, uh, sin. We still have indwelling sin, and that sin resides in the heart. Um, the, the verb to harden the heart, uh, an adjective of hardness of heart, and the noun form, uh, sclerocardia is the Greek word. Um, it's just kind of the backwards way of saying our title here for this morning. Um, all of these things indicate uh, that hardness of heart is still a possibility for believers. I want you to see just a few of these uh, warnings in these passages. Let's read Hebrews 3, uh, verses 8, 13, and 15. Who's got that? Thank you, sir. Do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the wilderness. But encourage, verse 13, but encourage one another day after day as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness. 
Okay. And then somebody read for us Romans 2 5. Skip down a few of those. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Okay. Uh, because of hardness of heart, um, unbelievers are storing up wrath against themselves. How about Matthew 19 8? He said of them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it has not been this Okay. And then in that passage is the, the, the very word sclerocardia, hardness of heart. And, and that, that word is used as a verb, as a noun, as an adjective uh, to describe the condition of an unbeliever, but also the susceptibility among believers in our mixed condition. Let's talk about the dangers of hard-heartedness. Uh, if we allow the, the, the hardness of heart to creep in, um, what is the result of that? I think one of the, the first dangers of hard-heartedness uh, you have there in your notes is a weakened conscience. A weakened conscience. Somebody read for us 1 Timothy 1.19. Keeping faith and a good conscience some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Okay. The conscience is one of the capacities in the human heart that God has given. And every unbeliever has a conscience. Every believer has a conscience. Uh, this is one of the design features in the human constitution that God has placed in you. And your conscience is something of a warning signal. It's a warning center about when things are right and wrong. And your conscience will either approve of what you're doing or condemn you for what you were doing. Uh, you heard Jiminy Cricket say, follow your conscience. Okay, um, There's something right about that. There's something misleading about that too. Uh, the conscience uh, is not always the best guide because you can rewrite your conscience. You can reprogram your conscience. Uh, right? Um, everybody in the world has uh, the the idea that there is right and there is wrong. Those who claim there is no right and wrong, how dare you tell me what is right and wrong, are actually making a standard of right and wrong <laughs> over my ability to tell them whether or not there is right and wrong. Everybody has a standard, um, and that standard is governed by conscience. Your conscience is pricked when you do something that you know is not right. Um, those things can be rewritten. I mean, it's, it's crazy the way the world decides what's right and what's wrong, but holds on to it conscience-bound and will save the whales and kill the babies. It's just tragic the way uh, we rewrite uh, what is right and wrong. The conscience, however, is an effective tool when it is governed and brought into alignment with the Word of God because it serves as an alert that, oh, I'm transgressing what I know to be right. This is why we must be very careful with one another in terms of conscience. You don't ever want to encourage another believer to violate her conscience. Right? I remember our kids uh, were very sensitive to some ways that we had trained them. We, we, we had encouraged them not to uh, use certain vocabulary in our home. Uh, the word stupid was one of those words. It was kind of like the S word in our home. We don't say that word. Um, and, and kids would hear that word used other places and their little ears would tingle and 
Uh, it was really shocking when they learned there was another S word. Uh, no, that's not the real one. Sorry, no. um, and 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 it was short-sighted on our part. It was really shocking as we were reading the book of Proverbs, and the writer of Proverbs uses the word "stupid" right there in the Bible. <laughs> and we had to work back through that. Um, we didn't want to tell our kids, "Oh no, no, it's okay. We told you there was something wrong, but but now go ahead, it's all right." Um, we had to reinform the conscience before encouraging our kids to violate the conscience. This is why the issues of, of weaker and stronger brethren uh, in the New Testament epistles is so critical. You don't want to do something um, that causes someone else to stumble. Uh, in other words, we don't want to put an obstacle in front of somebody else for the conscience. The conscience is really, really important. It's important to preserve. And any time we uh, develop a hardness of heart, you weaken your conscience. Your conscience is a fantastic capacity to, to help you stay away from that which displeases the Lord. And if you teach your conscience, if you teach yourself to overrule your conscience, if you teach yourself not to listen to it, uh, you'll be in a lot of trouble. Notice what happens in 1 Timothy 1.19. Those who don't keep faith and who don't keep a good conscience, in fact, they reject a good conscience, suffer shipwreck in regard to their faith. In other words, you, you get in the pattern of hardening your heart and weakening your conscience. Um, telling yourself, oh yeah, there's that warning signal again, nothing to hear, nothing to listen for. You know, it's like when, when, you, when you hear an alarm and you're like, man, why won't that alarm just go off? And eventually you just tune it out. Say, I don't want to listen to that anymore. Um, and you tune out your conscience. Um, the, the, the end result of that is a shipwrecked faith. Why? Because you've taught yourself on, on little things. Oh, it doesn't really matter. Oh, it doesn't really matter. And then you get comfortable with bigger and bigger things that you say, oh, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. And the end of that is a shipwrecked faith. Second danger of hard-heartedness is a weakened witness. A weakened witness. Let's look at Titus 2, 9 to 15. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not thick words, but shown good faith so that they will adorn the doctrines of God, our Savior, in every respect. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed, blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He <coughs> himself for us to redeem us Okay. This passage is all about the transforming power of the work of God in the gospel. And Paul's encouragement through Titus is that believers would adorn the doctrine of God in every respect. In other words, our lives are to be in keeping with the transformative work of the gospel. 
we are those who proclaim the gospel. We are those who say we've been transformed by the gospel. Um, but if, if we're not living in according to that, then we're not adorning the, do- the good doctrine of God in the gospel uh, with behavior that the gospel is intended to produce. And the tragedy is the, the witness of the church is weakened um, by hard-heartedness amongst believers. Uh, the, the very testimony of what the gospel is supposed to do in a life is weakened uh, by hard-heartedness. There's a third danger of hard-heartedness, and it's more corporate than individual. It is a weakened church. A weakened church. How about Ephesians 4.16? Ephesians 4.16 is something of a big jumble of words. Uh, if, if we sort of simplify it, um, take away the modifiers for a moment and just boil it down to its main part, it is simply this. The body causes the growth of the body. Uh, that's the main idea of Ephesians 4.16. That is the, the church, which is here depicted as a body of interdependent organic parts connected together. Uh, that is, they're in close proximity to one another. And they're dependent on each other organically for their sustenance and survival. Um, a body, like a physical body, causes the growth of the body. Uh, now, how does it do that? Here's where the modifiers fit in. Um, being, fitted and held, being fitted and held together by every joint of the supply according to the proper working of each individual part. Uh, two important features of the body cause the body to grow the body. The parts being together and each individual part working properly. If there is hard-heartedness in the individual believer, that is a portion of the body that is not working properly. And it effectively stunts the growth of the whole body. Right? And, and, and you know this, when, when you're reading your Bible, when you're tracking well with Christ, when you're on short accounts with God, when you're confessing sin, when you're eager to share the gospel with others, when... When the, the word of God is word of Christ is dwelling in you richly and overflowing in the lives of others, you are an encouragement to those you bump into in the body of Christ, and they're encouraged by you. And 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 when you speak of the things of Christ and someone else's face lights up, you're more encouraged. And and and, and the math here is not just two plus two equals four, but two plus two equals seven and a half or something like that. The the, the sum of encouragement is greater than its parts. You're encouraged by their encouragement at your encouragement. And the body grows. There, the, that is a joining that, is, that Paul calls here a joint of supply for spiritual vitality for church growth. And the converse is true too. Uh, if, if there's hardness of heart, if, if, if there's unconfessed sin, if, if, if I, I don't want to be transparent because I've got things I don't want to let go and I'm hiding things and... I'm not tracking well with the Lord and, and my heart isn't filled with the word of Christ and it's not overflowing into the lives of others. What happens when you and I bump into each other? I'm actually robbing you of the encouragement you could otherwise have had. You have to understand that your morning time in the word of God is not just about you. It is about the whole church. And a hardened heart weakens the church. 
you, you don't live an individual Christian life. Uh, you live an interdependent, organically connected life in the body of Christ. And you can't think of uh, your heart condition as only about you. It affects everybody else. All right, a fourth danger of hard-heartedness is decreased delight in Christ. And we need to look at John fourteen twenty one. Right, this is a staggering promise from Jesus. I know a lot of times we think about wanting to have a new, great, wonderful experience with Christ. And, and this verse is the key to that. And it, let, let, let's, let's think about this together. Jesus says, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. How does Jesus define love for Jesus? Keeping his commandments, doing what he says, right? Um, to say, oh, Jesus, I love you, but I, I really don't want you to tell me what to do. <laughs> that doesn't work very well. But Jesus, I love you. I love you for you, and, and I trust whatever you say. <laughs> um, we'll keep his commandments. Notice Jesus goes on and says, he who loves me, and, and how did he just define the one who loves him? The one keeping his commandments. And the one who loves me, will be loved by my Father. You want to experience the love of the Father? Then love Jesus. How do you love Jesus? You keep his commandments. And then a final statement, which is really just shocking. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. In other words, you, you want to have more, greater, experiential interaction with the Lord Jesus Christ. Love him by keeping his commandments. Um, Lord, I want to know you. <laughs> I want to do what you say. I want to submit my life to yours. I want to follow your direction. Uh, I want to be your slave. I want to do what you say. I, I want to belong to you. I, you're my God and I'm your people. And Jesus says, I, I will love you <laughs> and I will disclose myself to you. To think that you can have some sort of uh, Jesus experience apart from obedience it isn't Jesus' way. And I, and I grew up in a, a church environment where uh, Sunday church was where you went and got filled up. It didn't matter what you did the rest of your life during the week, but on Sunday you went and got jazzed. That's a weird word. Um, it was like going to the, ga the spiritual gas station. Um, and you sort of got your, your fill-up for the week of, of emotional, experiential uh, Jesus. And, and, and that's not what Jesus says here. The, the hardened heart, the corollary to verse 21 here, is if you don't keep Jesus' commandments, you, you harden your heart to the things that he says. You, you say, well, there's, there's things that are off limits to Christ. I, I don't want him to have that area of my life. Um, then, then, then this whole chain sort of falls apart. Um, how will you experience the love of the Father? Um, how can you say that you love Jesus? And, and how will you expect to have a fuller disclosure of Christ to you? 
The, the reality of a hardened heart is a decreased delight in Christ. And, and you know this to be true. How easy is it to pray when you've got unconfessed sin? Right? Sort of compartmentalize your spiritual life. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have real, sincere, thorough, on-my-face devotion towards you. But I don't want you to touch this over here. It, it doesn't work. Prayer sort of gets stopped by those things. Um, you know, if, if you've ever had the experience of um, here's this wonderful gospel opportunity. Somebody is standing in front of you and saying, oh, tell me more about Christ. And you haven't loved Christ particularly well. But let me tell you about the one that I've been running away from the last few hours. Um, there's a decreased delight in Christ with hard heartedness. A fifth danger of hard heartedness is faltering assurance. Altering assurance. Let's read from Romans 8, 12 to 17. <coughs> so then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God Heirs of God, heirs with Christ. If, what? If the Spirit is in us, testifying with our spirit that God indeed is our Father, uh, that affectionate term, Abba, Father, the endearing term, something like Daddy, uh, there is a a real uh, filial affection, that is, father-child relationship that I I feel in my spirit by the Holy Spirit uh, in my heart. Um, over my relationship to God. He truly is my father. Um, and, and that comes by being led by the Spirit of God. And, and all the sons of God are being led by the Spirit of God. And in this context, um, what is the leading of the Spirit of God? It is the leading to put to death the deeds of the body. In other words, what, what is the Holy Spirit who indwells believers leading believers to do? Mortify sin. Kill sin. This isn't a passage about decision making. This is a passage about the evident residence of the Holy Spirit of God in the life of a believer. He leads you to put sin to death. And he grants you assurance that you belong to God as a child of God. And those two things go together. Um, Your assurance of salvation your feeling that you belong to God and he is your daddy is in direct relationship to the spirit's work in your life of making you more like Christ and putting sin to death. Um, You can't hold on to sin. You can't be cultivating a, a hard heartedness and feel like, oh, God is my father and I love him and he loves me. Those two things don't go together. 
In fact, great assurance of salvation comes when you are tracking well with the Lord in a soft-hearted condition. And you can't have assurance with hard-heartedness. These things don't work together. Now, eternal security is rock solid. A genuine believer can never lose her salvation. But assurance is subjective. It is based on how you feel about your eternal security. Do you understand the difference? Assurance is a subjective reality tied to your being led by the Holy Spirit of God to put to death the deeds of the body. And so a hardened heart does what? It brings about a faltering assurance of salvation. And rightly so. Rightly so. This is why Paul tells the Corinthian believers, test yourselves, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Oh, no, no, no. I should never question my own salvation. That's a lack of faith. Uh, no, you should examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine. Here's a sixth danger of hard-heartedness. A vicious cycle. A vicious cycle. Let's look at Galatians 6, 7 to 9. a really important principle in in reaping and sowing if uh if you had grass in your front yard some of you do some of you have rocks i don't understand it but if you have grass i commend you um and and if you had dandelions growing in your front yard um and, and you thought oh these these beautiful green leaves and these bright cheery yellow flowers and then they, they turn to puffballs, right? You think, oh man, that doesn't look as good. I need to get rid of those. And you take the lawnmower and you just mow over all the puffballs. What's going to happen? More puffballs, right? The next generation of, of dandelions is uh, massively increased because you just spread those seeds all over the place. And the Galatians seed principle is this. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap destruction. So to the spirit, you reap life. In other words, whatever seeds you put in the ground is what's going to grow out of the ground. Hard-heartedness is a seed-bearing plant that reproduces itself. And, and, and you don't win over hard-heartedness with a quick fix, like a lawnmower over snow-capped dandelions. Right? You don't cut off the puffballs and hope to be done with dandelions. You've you got to do something different than that. You've got to go after roots. Um, and it's really helpful to pull them up before they have all those seeds flying around. This analogy is really important because it, it, it helps us think through the issue of patience in sanctification, endurance, right? There's no quick fix. 
there, there's no uh, there's no magic bullet. There's no magic pill uh, for sanctification or breaking patterns of wrong thinking, uh, patterns of wrong affections and emotions, patterns of wrong ideas, patterns of wrong behavior. Uh, these things take time. They take patience and endurance. Farmers, as you know, work hard and wait. They work hard and they wait because plants don't grow overnight. Uh, Seeds for righteousness sown take time to sprout and bear fruit and produce more. But they will. If, If you've gone the last month uh, not reading your Bible and your heart is uh, become hardened. <laughs> Significant sclerosis has built up in the cardiac muscle. Um, you haven't been confessing sin. You've been distant from other believers. Uh, you, you've sort of made yourself untouchable. Uh, you like shallow conversation because you don't want things to penetrate. If you've been doing that the last 30 days or so, and, and, and you say, you know what? This isn't right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read my Bible. I'm going to read my Bible longer in the morning. I'm going to read all of my McShane uh, reading plan assignment and a proverb. And then that afternoon you think, well, that didn't work. That is a short-sighted view. Is, is a half hour in God's word going to make up for a month? of dandelion seeds blowing all across the yard. It's not. It's not. We have to persevere and endure in cultivating soft-heartedness to break up the hard ground and to plant good seed. And and the, the, the encouragement from Galatians is be patient. The plants will come in due time if we persevere in these things. Um, This is just trust in the Lord multiplied by time in doing what is good and doing what is right. The danger of hard heartedness is the vicious cycle. Hard heartedness begets more hard heartedness. The last danger of hard heartedness is apostasy. Uh, By the way, this is where all of these things have been leading. Um, Someone read Hebrews 10, 26 to 31. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of of a fire which consumes the adversaries. Um, Adversaries. Adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much much severe punishment do you think we deserve who have trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and was insulted in the spirit of grace? For we know that he said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge to his people. It is terrifying. It is, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Okay. Now, this is a, a severe warning 
about apostasy, about a final following away from Christ that results in eternity in hell. And you might be thinking, wait a second, I mean, we're, we're just talking about a little bit of hard heart. I didn't read my Bible for the last two weeks. <laughs> and you're talking about hell. What, what, what is happening here? Um, this is a matter of trajectories. Uh, if, if, you've been, if you've been to the airport, if you've been on an airplane, have you ever seen the numbers on the runways? You know what those are? Anybody know what those are? Those are, those are directional degree numbers. So if you see runway 18, that's short for 180 degrees, which is due south. Uh, the degree markers are like a, like a clock face, but 360 degrees. So 0 or 360 is due north. 180 is south, uh, 90 and 270 east and west. And so um, you know which direction you're off. Well, if you're off by one degree, let's say you're trying to go due north, and instead of going uh, 360 or 000, you go 001, just one degree off. In 60 miles, you'll be an entire mile off, and you'd miss your destination. Um, and think about what 60... 60 miles is in a car, just at freeway speed. Right? That's, that's about an hour's driving and a mile away from where you want to be. Now multiply that out <laughs> to eternity. Just I, I'm just one degree off of my spiritual life. This is no big deal. There's, there's nothing to see here. The problem is any degree off is a trajectory away from the destination. Hard-heartedness, left unchecked, is the road to apostasy. Hard-heartedness, left unchecked, is the road to apostasy, to a final walking away from Christ. This is why Hebrews 2.1 says, We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. We must pay close attention. So that we don't drift away from it. First um, John two nineteen, uh, the, the apostle John gives us an explanation of those who walked away. I think this is helpful. Somebody read that one for us. They were not from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out, so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. I think this is a really helpful explanation. Um, all of us who have, who have walked with Christ long enough have, have known personally those who said the same things that we say, seem to love what we love, sit right next to us in church, and are no longer walking with Christ. And John gives us the explanation. What, what is it with those guys? Could it be, is it I, Lord? You know, could, could, could I do that? And, and it's a very sobering check on our own hearts and the trajectories that, that we take up when we have hard-heartedness, um, to recognize that there are people who said the same things that we said and have walked away. Does that mean a genuine believer loses his salvation? No, John explains they were never of us. And they walked away from us to demonstrate they were never of us. Um, and that's an important explanation that would be comforting to, to John's readers. But it's also a, a warning. That, that if, if you're not loving Christ, if you're not being led by the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body, if, if you're not 
um, engaging in that warm-hearted, soft-hearted tenderness towards God and the things of the Spirit, um, that you're on a, a dangerous ground. Dangerous ground. Let's talk about some of the causes of hard-heartedness. How, how, do, we, how do we get cardiosclerosis? How, how do these things creep in? Uh, I think the first cause is just simple neglect. Simple neglect. Second uh, Peter 1, 3 to 11. <coughs> that would be wonderful. Thank you. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, applying moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Thank you, Sarah. I had a car, the first car I drove, uh, had a left-hand turning tendency. Uh, that, that's a dangerous tendency. Take your hands off the wheel, and a left-hand turn pulls you where? Into oncoming traffic. Right, A right-hand pull would have been a little better. Um, but it was always two hands on the wheel. And your heart is like that. Let go of your heart. Where's it going to go? Into oncoming traffic. It's going to be disastrous. Uh, there is no cruise control in the Christian life. Uh, there's no coasting. Uh, this is why Peter says, uh, be diligent. <laughs> be diligent to add to your faith these things. And he gives the list of things we must labor at. The things we must work towards. Now, this, this laboring and toiling and, and working in the Christian life, it's a fight. But it's a dependent fight with a supernatural ally. Right? We, we don't muster up our own strength or the resources that we were born with uh, to accomplish these things. No, we, we were born again by the Spirit of God who richly supplies what we need to accomplish these things. And yet, these are things we must be engaged with. Uh, with our mind, with our strength, with our labors, with our energies. Uh, to pursue these things, to cultivate these things. The natural tendency of our hearts is to be lazy spiritually. Um, Peter tells us otherwise. <laughs> to, to be diligent. To cultivate these things. To supply these things. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful. 
these are things we must always be growing in. So one cause of hard-heartedness is just simple neglect of these things. You let go of the wheel, <laughs> the heart gets hard. A second cause is false teaching. False teaching. Second Peter two seventeen to twenty one. These are springs without water and mists driven by a storm from whom the black darkness. <coughs> For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world, by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. Okay. So... What Peter's describing here are false teachers who became intimately connected with the things of Christ, never having been believers, and proved themselves to be so after a time. But eager for whatever reasons, whether it's power, money, influence, fame, um, love to be involved in people's lives and teaching. Uh, the kind of people that Paul described as those who love to be teachers of the law but don't know what they're talking about. Um, and they are seeking to lead believers astray. Um, promising them freedom, he says, even though they're causing them to be enslaved by sin. One possible way to induce a hard-heartedness toward the things of the Lord is just to be under bad teaching. To be under false teaching. So it's important that you take care to whom you listen. A third cause of hard-heartedness is simply weak teaching. Weak teaching. First Timothy 1, 3-6. Well, the false teachers in Second Peter um, were teaching believers to sin. The, the heterodox teachers in First Timothy are just teaching useless stuff. Endless genealogies and myths. It, it, it's not so much that they're encouraging believers to sin by their teaching. They're just not teaching them the word of God. And, and how much of, of the Christian church today is plagued by just empty filler? Um, teaching that is neither good nor bad. Just, it's not the truth. It's just not helpful. Uh, and the reality is that kind of teaching will not produce soft hearts. Others have said it well. Hard preaching produces soft hearts and soft preaching produces hard hearts. 
Why? If, if I'm never allowing my heart to be addressed by the Word of God, if I'm never allowing my heart to be confronted by the Word of God, if I am never allowing my uh, conscience to be informed by God's truth, if I'm never finding my, my heart in, in disagreement at some point with God's Word where it needs to be changed, if I'm only ever hearing what I wanted to hear to begin with, that's going to be problematic for me. That's not going to produce soft-heartedness. God says his word is like a hammer and like a fire. It is to have the effects of confrontation, demolition, bringing down of wrong ideas, tearing down of wrong affections, uh, the demolition of, of wrong emotions, wrong ideas, wrong intentions, wrong behavior. And, and replacing it with that which pleases him. If my heart is not addressed by the word of God in that way, uh, my heart will grow hard. And so I need to make sure that I'm putting myself under the word of God in such a way that I'm being addressed. We need to um, long for that, not run away from that. A fourth cause of hard-heartedness is a lack of fellowship, lack of encouragement. All right, Hebrews ten twenty-five to 27. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as in the habit of some, but encouraging <coughs> one another, and all the more as you see the day dawning near. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and a fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Okay, this is the one place where I'm glad for you to read this passage on the printed out sheet rather than in your Bibles. Uh, in, in, in your Bibles, there is a break between verses 25 and 26, usually a heading break and a new paragraph, even a new title. But verse 26 begins with a subordinating conjunction. That is, it connects verse 26 to verse 25. Verse 25 is that famous verse that you have to go to church verse. Right? Do not neglect assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. Wait, do I have to go to church? Yeah, Hebrews 10.25. There it is. It says you've got to go to church. Don't neglect assembling of yourselves together. For, verse 26, don't separate them out. Apostasy is real. Go to church because apostasy. And it's not just check off the box you know, the attendance box. It, it, we're required in, in uh, Bible college to go to chapel. And um, there was an, a mandatory attendance policy. And uh, students practiced the slash and dash, which was you walked up to the attendance sheet, you know, wrote, wrote the line through your name, which was the mark that you had been present. You slashed and you dashed. <laughs> right. um, the, the point is not just to get credit for having come to church. The point is to be organically connected to the body of Christ in the ways we were looking at in Ephesians 4.16. Why? Because apostasy. One of the causes of hard-heartedness is a lack of fellowship. Absence does not make the heart grow fonder. Absence doesn't make the heart grow fonder. When it comes to the church and the body of Christ, um, you will be distracted by other things. Listen, I know it's not easy to, to, to make it a regular pattern to be involved in my small group 
to 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 make sacrificial choices to on on a Saturday night to make sure that my household is ready on a Sunday morning. I know these things come with forethought and planning and sometimes difficulty. Um, listen, life is hard enough as it is, especially if you have little ones and sicknesses go through. Uh, there, there are plenty of opportunities uh, to, to miss out on fellowship. Uh, I'm thankful for the live stream and for ways that that helps. Um, that's not everything. It's not a replacement. It's a help when you can't be here. Um, but I know my own heart. I'm away for a couple of weeks and things don't go well. We need each other. There's a fifth cause for hard-heartedness and it is a rejection of the truth. Acts 19.9 Becky, you don't have to leave just because you're offended. (laughs) But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient seeking evil of the way before the people... He withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannosaurus Rex. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Paul, Paul had the experience of preaching the truth, God's gracious, condescending, uh, not condescending like patting somebody on the head, but God himself is condescending to give us knuckleheads his precious truth. And, and it's life-giving, and it's everything. It's what these people need, and they rejected it. And, and, and the, the tragedy is that the rejection of truth produces rejection of truth. A significant cause of hard-heartedness is turning your back on anything you know to be true. You say, oh, I don't, I don't like that. I don't want that. I'm not, I'm not ready to yield to God's truth in this matter. This phenomenon is what theologians call judicial hardening of God. Listen, there are a lot of threats to our understanding God's truth as humans. Right? There, there's many enemies to our ability to understand the truth. One is our finitude, right? We're just finite beings. Um, the, the dough people have a significant barrier right now, between them and knowing God's truth, right? Um, They can't read and write their own language, and God's truth is not in their language yet. So they're going to have to learn to read and write, and our friends are going to have to translate God's word into the Doe language. (laughs) Those are significant barriers. That just has to do with our human limitations, learning. But we have an enemy. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so they will not believe the gospel. Satanic blinding is a barrier to truth. The world itself that tries to squeeze us into its mold, Romans 12, 2, is a barrier to our understanding the truth. Listen, you spend 50 minutes under the word of God on a Sunday. How much more time will you spend during the week? In front of the television, in a classroom, around coworkers? around all the other influences that happen throughout the week. The Word of God is up against serious competition in our lives for its ability to transform our thinking. And, and the other threat, besides, well, and I left out our sin, um, our own sin, the world, Satan, our own finitude. If that's not enough, uh, there's one more barrier to God's 
to, to people in general understanding God's truth. And it is God himself. When you turn your back on truth, you produce hard-heartedness that keeps you from more truth. Remember Romans 1. They did not worship him as God, therefore God gave them over. Three times it says in Romans 1 that God gave them over. Um, the, the old song says, uh, Give me more darkness, said the blind man. Give me stone silence, said the fool. Uh, oops, no, I said that wrong. Give me more folly, said the fool. Give me stone silence, said the deaf man. I didn't believe Sunday school. And the reality is, if you want um, an avoidance of truth, God may give you exactly what you're asking for. What a tragedy that is. The, the, the people that Paul turned away from after preaching the truth, they rejected the truth. And so Paul turned away. The gospel went away from them. One of the significant causes of hard-heartedness is a rejection of truth when you see it. Listen, that, that, that's true uh, for us as believers. You, you come to a passage of Scripture that touches on something in your life and you say, Oh, I don't want to read that. I'll go to my favorite passage. It's a danger. You're actually producing hard-heartedness when you do that. And then the last cause of hard-heartedness is simple disobedience, sin. Hebrews 3.13, somebody read that for us. But encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Okay. We get hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Any sin, unconfessed, unchecked, produces hard-heartedness. We just need to be on short accounts. It's not that we won't sin. It's just that when we sin, identify it, confess it before the Lord, turn from it. Uh, replace it with that which is right. Um, don't get tired of doing that process. <laughs> if you grow weary of the process of identifying, confessing, and turning from sin, um, you'll produce hard-heartedness. Let's talk about some remedies for hard-heartedness. We'll talk about some individual remedies, some corporate remedies, and then God's remedies. Individual remedies are pretty simple. Read your Bible and pray. Read your Bible and pray. And there's no, no magic formula here. Just drag your heart before the Lord. Um, learn to think His thoughts after Him. Soak your heart under His Word. And, and come to meet with Him. Um, again, not, a, not an abstract textbook, but you come to fellowship with your Creator, your Redeemer, your father, reading the Bible, meditating on Scripture, memorizing Scripture, listening to sermons. Right. Psalm 1, blessed or happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers. But what? His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And he'll be like a tree, prospering. Bearing fruit in its season. The wicked are not like that. Somebody read for us Psalm 119.10. With all my heart I have thought you. Okay, what a great prayer. With all my heart I've sought you. Do not let me wander from your commands. 
Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. <laughs> Bind my heart with fetters <laughs> to you. But what a great prayer that is. That's a prayer of dependence. Uh, I recognize the weakness in my own heart. I, I recognize my own tendencies. Um, pray. You, you recognize a, a wayward disposition in your own affections. <laughs> Ask the Lord to draw you close and to keep you close. God loves to answer that prayer. Uh, the, the, these two simple individual remedies of, of intake of God's word and prayer before him. They're simple. And you knew these answers already. You knew that before you walked in this morning. Um, and yet they can be hard to do, right? We'll, we'll backfill anything else into those spots in our lives. But, but really, this is the vitality of your Christian life. Hearing from God and his word and pouring out your heart before him in prayer. There are corporate remedies to hard-heartedness. Uh, first is assembling together. We've talked about that. Be together. Be around believers who make you afraid to sin, who make you long for heaven, uh, who make you love Christ more. Be friends with those people. And then be a friend like that to others. Another corporate remedy is just being shepherded. Being shepherded by qualified shepherds who are actually shepherding. And it means that we need to be sheep who are willing to be shepherded. That's the principle in Hebrews 13, 17. Uh, somebody read that one for us. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Okay. Uh, this means that you know, your wellspring discussion group leaders, um, whether it's small group leaders, pastors in the church, whatever. Um, th these are people who want to serve your soul and to give account to God for your soul in the way they care for you. And so when someone comes to you and says, hey, can I ask you about this blind spot in your life? <laughs> this is not a holier than thou. I've got one leg up on you and I'm going to, uh, tell you how to live because I know better. Um, this is, uh, as Tom Angstead says, one beggar trying to help another beggar find the bread. <laughs> uh, we all before the Lord are wanting to please him. And yet some have been placed into a spiritual capacity of leadership, which is servanthood, accountable, scary servanthood that, that seeks the best for the souls under their care. So my task as a sheep... <laughs> is to be shepherdable, to be pliable, soft-hearted, and, and to long for that. And, and, and the goal for those who have the role of shepherding is to protect the sheep, care for the sheep, feed the sheep, lead the sheep, and to do so as those who give an account to God. There's another corporate remedy, and it is restoration. Galatians 6, 1 to 3. Somebody read that for us. Okay. If anyone is caught in a trespass, restore such a one. Um, 
the, the idea here is not catching somebody sinning. You walk around the corner, aha, I caught you in a trespass. Now get back in line, I've restored you. Uh, no, the idea is, you know, you're walking through the woods down the trail and, and you hear your sister uh, groaning in pain. Uh, she has stepped onto one of those great big steel bear traps and it has snapped shut on her legs. Both her femurs are snapped, compound fractures, blood spurting everywhere. And you're like, oh my goodness, my sister needs help. Did that just go gory? Okay. I don't know. Kate liked it. She's like, ooh, I want to jump in and help. This is great. Get a tourniquet. But you're, you're in that moment. You're not filled with, aha, I caught you. I would never do that. You're filled with compassion. And, and, and you're going to get your hands dirty and you're going to go in there and you're going to grab that steel bear trap and you're going to pull it apart with all your might and you're going to tend your friend's wounds. And with compassion and care, you're going to bear her burden. She's caught in that which is entangling and deadly. And if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one with gentleness, looking to yourself so you don't get caught as well and bear one another's burdens, fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, that is a corporate remedy for hard-heartedness. We, we help each other out when we're in need in this way. And then another corporate remedy is the church discipline process laid out in Matthew 18. Right? We've, we've gone through this in a number of contexts. And, um. This is just really, really insightful, um, really helpful plan that Jesus put forward. He he knows us. He knows what we need. And he gave the, the perfect set of instructions for us to care for one another well. And we can trust him in that. It's not an easy process. And yet it's a good process. Um, those are the corporate remedies for hard heartedness. There are divine remedies as well. And all of the ones we've just talked about are, are God's remedies. They're his ordained means, right? Your Bible reading and prayer is God's remedy for hard-heartedness. Um, assembling together, shepherding, r- restoring one another, church discipline process. These are all God's remedies. Additionally to that, we have divine discipline. Hebrews 12, 5 to 11. Somebody read that one for us. <coughs> the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as being best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. God's personal, loving, fatherly discipline in our lives is good. Embrace it. This is God's remedy for hard-heartedness. This is where God sort of pries our our white-knuckle grip fingers off of our idolatries. 
and, and, and opens us up soft-hearted again to Him. Now, how do I know if, if there's a difficulty in my life, some trial, some hardship, how do I know, is, is, this, a, is this a trial? Is this fatherly discipline? Is this persecution from the world? Is this satanic attack? Is this just the consequences of, of my sin? Or is this just what it's like to live in a cursed and broken world? How do you know? I don't know. But if you're in the midst of a difficult situation, find something to confess. Search your heart. Because even if it's a satanic attack, um, do we have examples of God using satanic attack to sanctify his people and produce Christ's likeness? Yeah. Second Corinthians 12, Paul, the apostle, right? It was a satanic messenger that was a thorn in his side. And yet Paul says that God gave it to him to keep him from exalting himself. Right? So I'm not sure if I can discern whether something in my life is God's fatherly discipline. But I know as my father, he loves me. And whatever the immediate cause of some difficulty in my life, it's a great reason for me to examine my heart. God, is there something that I'm holding on to too tightly that doesn't please you? Is there something I need to let go of? Is there some sin I haven't seen I need to confess? Is there something I know about and you've been trying to get my attention? We can trust the Lord in those things. Um, I've given you a, a list of the warning passages in the New Testament from, from on your sheets from Matthew 13 um, all the way down to Jude 21. Um, those are the, the my, my personal list of the warning passages of the New Testament. And, and those are God's remedy as well for hard-heartedness. You come across these in your Bible and you see, whoa, don't fall away. Yeah, I don't want to fall away. I better check my heart. Um, that's God's remedy to keep us close to him. Right. So <coughs> again, a genuine believer can never lose her salvation. However, um, I believe those warnings are part of God's means to keep those who are his close to him and not fall away. A genuine believer reads those warnings and says, I don't want to fall away and gets close to Christ again. A final remedy for hard-heartedness is physical death. Physical death. 1 Corinthians 11, 29 and 30. This will be our last passage this morning. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not <coughs> For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and never sleep. Okay. Um, Paul uses the word sleep here to describe Corinthian believers who have abused and misused the Lord's table and are physically deceased. Now, sleep is never used for an unbeliever who dies, but only for believers. These are believers who have been judged by God and taken home. Uh, they, they, they did not repent of their hard heartedness before they went home. God took them home. Um, many at Corinth were sick under this judgment and ostensibly could recover, but some had already died. And listen, I'm, I'm thankful that for his own, God would take you home before you would apostatize. That's, that's a kindness of the Lord, right? We still believe that precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of the saints. Um, 
And so God taking his own children home is one remedy to hard-heartedness. I don't think that's the remedy you want to choose, right? Um, let's just soften our hearts before that. Um, question. Because you might die. (laughs) Thanks, Jim. Appreciate that. All right, why don't we close in prayer? Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the reminder of this fundamental heart discipline um, that we would maintain a soft-hearted disposition toward you. God, we need you for these things. Uh, Prone to wander, Lord, we feel it. Uh, So many enticements. So many distractions, uh, so many uh, ways to uh, fill our lives, uh, fill our minds, um, direct our emotions away from you. And it's not easy um, to track with you well. But you're the best. You're everything. You're life. God, I pray that you would help us uh, help each other uh, depend upon you. And to maintain soft-heartedness. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.